We're so glad to have each of you here tonight. We do have visitors with us. I know many would probably like to be here, but for fear of the weather, uh, felt that they needed to stay home. But we're glad you're here, and we're going to try to study a lesson together. Brother Joe handed me a card that he was asked to read, and so I asked me to read it for him at this time. Uh, we received a number of cards, and this one says, Thank you so much for your thoughtfulness. A simple act of kindness has beauty all of its own. Thank you so much for the flowers and fruit basket, Mildred Bumbleau. Tonight, we're going to continue in our series of lessons of favorite passages. And for me, I truly love this series of lessons. There's so much value that I get from studying these lessons because it provides for me an opportunity to preach on some great passages of Scripture. And it also provides a highlight of many of the favorites of the members. Tonight would be one of my favorites, but I was given this by, I think, three or four different people to study John chapter 1, verse 1. And one person said, would you study John 1, verses 1 through 5? So... I'm going to add four more verses to most of them as we look at it tonight. Why would John 1 through 5 be such a favorite? Well, there's a lot of stress placed upon the Savior and who He is and what He is and what He has done for man. We need to see Him for what He means to us. You know, it's one thing to say that we have a Savior, but it's quite another to be able to appreciate Him in His fullness, for what He has said and for what He has done and for who He is. And so this lesson tonight is going to be simply to take John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and pull out the most important words or phrases. And you're going to see seven of them as we pass through. We're going to look at the word beginning, word, with God, was God, made through Him, then life and light. Let's look at those very quickly. In the beginning, that has reference to time. When you start thinking about those words, in the beginning, you cannot help but think about Genesis 1 and verse 1. As Moses opens up the story of mankind, he says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're beginning at the very starting point for man, our habitation, this place. And so he starts out with the words, In the beginning. But John doesn't just use it here. He uses it also in his general epistle, 1 John when he says, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John ties Jesus, and we know that's to whom he is referring, with the words, in the beginning. But it's not just John. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 10, the writer says, and you, Lord... In the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. I'd suggest to you, as we'll notice later, made through him, 
is going to have some very significance with this point. But it is synonymous with the foundation of the world as God started this creation. For instance, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. Talking about Jesus, He was foreordained. It was planned what He would do. Or as John 17 and verse 24 puts it, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold the glory which you have given me. Now notice carefully, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. When we start talking about Jesus, we do not begin with the creation. He precedes the creation, just as like God the Father precedes the creation. Hebrews 9 verse 26 puts it like this. He would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The foundation of the world refers to the beginning of time, and Jesus was there. Jesus was not a created being. Jesus was not some sort of part of God's wonderful creation. He was there in the very beginning at the foundation of the world. So in the beginning was the Word. Was the Word. Why choose that term to refer to Jesus? Why not refer to him by a number of other? It's a metaphor. And if you go through the New Testament, you'll find a lot of metaphors about Christ. For instance, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Or he would say, I am the door, any man who enters in among me. Or he would say, I am the great shepherd of the sheep. Many other metaphors that one might be able to raise. But Jesus is the Word. And the Word comes from a Greek word called logos. And it means a spoken message. That which comes out of your mouth. Something that has content. Something that communicates. And that's what words do. When you then say the Word of God, you're talking about a divine message. And that is very appropriate. Because in John 1, if you continue on to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. What is John recording? That Jesus fully revealed what the Father was like. He has declared Him. Nobody knows what God looks like except for Jesus. No one knows the Father like Jesus. He is the Word or the revelation, if you will, of God's message. By the time you get to John chapter 12, you look at verses 45 and 48, and Jesus says, And he who sees me sees him who sent me. 
He was the manifestation, the revelation, the word, the message from God. And when you could see him, you could understand that. You go down to verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him or has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. But I like when you get to John 14. Jesus had said he's going to go back to heaven. He says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come again, I'm going to receive you to myself. They don't understand where he's going and what's going to take place. And if you'll notice verses 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? It's appropriate to say, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is a revelation of God, a revelation of His will, a revelation of how a person ought to live. We could explore that in much greater depth, but we must move on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That distinguishes that there is a plurality in the Godhead. Because if you say, someone went with me to the store, that implies that you went, and you went with or along with someone else. So when you say that, you have to know that there's at least two involved in that. And we learn from what Paul writes to the Philippians that both God the Father and God the Son are on an equal basis. Paul writes, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't take anything away from God because he was equal to him. It's not as if, if Jesus is God, that, that somehow minimizes the Father. He was with God. But when you go to John 16, verse 28 and 17, 5, he says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. You've got to understand the two involved there. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see how he was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That is, he was with the Father. In 1 John 1 and verse 2, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You know, if I start looking through the Bible, I can see the discussion of this principle in numerous passages. In the very beginning, in Genesis 1 and verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Us and our draws attention to the fact that there's a plurality in the Godhead. 
Or you go to John 14 and verse 23. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We could go on and on, but I think you get the point. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Third aspect of that is, and the Word was God. That's an affirmation of Jesus' divinity. That means that he is God in the flesh. As such, he is worthy of man's worship. He's worthy of the devotion the singing of praises, the falling down at his feet to worship him. Let me illustrate it to you. The book of Revelation, there's a wonderful set of illustrations, uh, figures of speech. And he's talking about Jesus and he's called the Lamb. And he says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Chapter 5, verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You see, he's trying to point out to us he's worthy of our worship. But you know, when you start thinking about those who are worthy of worship, angels are not. There's no time in which it was appropriate to fall down at the feet of an angel. Now John did. In Revelation 22 verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So when you say in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, you are saying that Jesus is worthy of that worship. In Hebrews 1 and verse 6, same point being made. But again, he brings the firstborn into the world and he says, let all the angels of God worship him. You don't fall down at the foot of an angel, but you do fall down, including the angels, at the foot of our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. In Luke 4, verse 8, And Jesus answered and said to him, that is to Satan, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So you have to understand, when you say that Jesus is God, you're saying he's worthy of our worship. And then he says, all things were made through him. That's an amazing statement. Because when you approach the Bible, you find the Father, and you find the Son, and you find the Holy Spirit. And as you read and study your Bible, you find out that different works were done by various members of the Godhead. It appears that the Father is the one who proposes, the one whose will it is. It appears that Jesus 
is the one tasked with being the Savior of mankind. And the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the will of God to the minds of men. And so when you think about saying that Jesus was the creator, that that indicates he's the one who had that part of the task. Let me explain it to you. Listen to Ephesians 3 verse 9. Paul says to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. How many things? All things. Through whom did he do it? Jesus Christ. Parallel passage, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible were the thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. I don't know that there's a better way to state it than the way Paul put it there. How worthy is Jesus because he is that great creator. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, the Hebrew writer says, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. That's the one that was chosen. Now, I have some thoughts of studying John chapter 1 to emphasize that if Jesus is our creator, and he definitely is, who knows man better than him? Who would be better to come and walk the face of this earth than the very one who was responsible for our very creation? Listen to John chapter 2, 24 and 25. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Does God know you? Does God know me? Well, most certainly he does. Psalm 94, 9 and 10 puts it like this. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge? God made our ears. God made our eyes. God made our brains. God made us all. He knows how we think. He is our creator. And in him was life. Life. I want you to notice with me, Jesus is life. In John chapter 5, verse 21 and 26. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son of Man gives life to whom he will. Jesus imparts life. You go to verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. I've often thought about the way these passages are stated. Has life. You know, you can take all of the chemicals found in the human body you can calculate how much H2O, all the various elements, 
And a person can arrange them in a certain order, but you know what? One thing man cannot provide? Life. But our Creator can. Our Creator can speak it into existence. In John 6 and verse 63, he had a sermon on the bread of life. He talked to them about the manna in the wilderness. And he said, I am the bread of life. And here's the way he puts it when he's in the middle of his sermon. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are Spirit and they are life. That is, they are what is able to put in each of us real, eternal life. Or John 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Or John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. This afternoon, our young people were taking the test over John chapter 12 and going through chapter 14. As I sat there and during that period of time, I went back and I read some of John chapter 11 and 12. And thinking about Lazarus, here's a man that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, been dead four days. You know what he did? He came back to life. Jesus says to Mary and to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In contrast, you look at the world and sin and the death it brings, and Jesus came that man might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10. I didn't put the reference there, but you can get it. Finally, life and light. Light is pure light, the pure nature of God, the total absence of darkness. I want you to listen to John as he goes on to speak about this in John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that through all through him might believe. He, that is John the Baptist, was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He is that source of guidance, direction. In John 8 and verse 12 again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see how these all fall together? In John 9 and verse 5, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And Jesus says, as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. People look at me for 
guidance, for direction. In John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. People can look at him and understand who they are, why they're here, where they're going. The problem is, is that when man refuses that real light, he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know why he's here. And he most certainly cannot know where he's going. Here's our challenge. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his sin, Son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light means walking according to the direction of the Word. The Word being the Christ. We have a remarkable Savior who is worthy of all our praise, our adoration, all the glory that we can bestow upon Him, which makes His coming to the earth all that much more remarkable. We didn't have a second-class Savior it wasn't as if somehow, as the song sings, they searched through heaven to find a Savior. No, you didn't have to search. You had a willing, desiring Savior, willing to save man. And, and He is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And He offers salvation to all men. Well, what a tremendous passage. John 1, verses 1 through 5, certainly is. Tonight, if you are not a Christian, we want to urge you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you believe that He is the Son of God, repent of your sins. Confess your faith and devotion to Him. And then be baptized. From that point, you get up and you live because you are a Christian. You have light. You have life. Occasionally, though, we step out of the light. We're not walking in it, as 1 John 1, 7 says. When we step into darkness, we need to come back to Him. 1 John 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We encourage you and we invite you now as we stand and sing to come and respond.